Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Good afternoon, church. How are you guys doing? Um, the last song that we sang, um, I think Jonathan has been leading us in that song for past month or so, and, and every time I sing those words, I'm reminded that uh, we can't stop believing. We can't let go of what we have once believed that God would do in our lives. So sometimes uh, we may seem like it's not going anywhere. Sometimes we may, we may be discouraged in places of our waiting and, and struggling and, and wandering around that we're tempted to give up. We're tempted to stop believing But church, I want to encourage you guys to let's cling on to the promises and the power of God that what he has conveyed to us, he will surely do. Amen? And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but um, I'm kind of self-centered in a way that when I hear good stories, when I hear like amazing testimonies of what God has done in people's lives, I get really like, um, I, I get really jealous I, I have this mindset, man, God, like, what can I experience that? God, why can't I experience your favor in the way that I see other people experiencing you? And I begin to hunger after God. I begin to wish, God, come on, God. And, and to be honest, I don't think that God sees that as a bad thing. I don't think God sees it as like, man, fool, you better be humble, Scott. You, you, you can't. I, I think God really genuinely desires as his children. It's like, man, dream, imagine, desire about the possibility that God would unfold in our lives. So I don't know who you are, where you are, or what it is that you're praying for. I pray that you do not give up in the way that God will do miraculous things in and through your life. Amen, church? I just thought I would just share that with you because in the moment, uh, who knows? Who knows what you're praying for? Who knows what you're waiting for? But God is not done with you. Amen? If you're joining us for the first time today, uh, we have been in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, for some time. And and we spent the last three weeks talking about uh, Paul's view of Paul encouraging the people in Corinth uh, that, that they should be edifying and to make sure that they do not stumble uh, other people in, in the context of church. And he, he certainly talks about his own use of freedom. He talks about how every believer and follower of Jesus, we're free to do whatever it is that we desire. But he says, now turn that freedom to not just do whatever, but he, he poses a question. Hey, there are things that we are permissible, uh, we are uh, given permission to do, but not all the things that we have permission to do are actually beneficial. So he encourages us, he charges us to commit to a life where we do things that are actually beneficial for our faith lives. And we learn to ask the maximum righteousness question rather than the minimum righteousness question. And simply phrase that, we, are, we were encouraged to ask the question, hey, does this help me run? Because oftentimes as Christians, we spend so much energy and time thinking about, God, am I allowed to do this? God, is this a bad thing to do? God, is it illegal in the Christian context for me to engage in this activity or this habit? 
So instead of trying to discern what is right or what is wrong, we have learned to ask the question, how this particular action or behavior allow me to run faster, allow me to run better in the race that God has called, Christ has compelled me to run in this life. So when Christ is our focus, when pursuing righteousness is our goal, then the answer will become quite clear, or more clear at least. So that was last week's sermon. We are encouraged to live life more intentionally. And today, uh, I, I want to just kind of bring to end this uh, mini-series within the series of the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, I've titled the sermon, In It to Win It. Would you say that with me? In It to Win It. In this sermon, uh, we are going to see Apostle Paul's way of comparing life or spiritual life in the life that he lives. And he talks about why he's so focused and what compels him, what drives him, what motivates him to stay connected to God and give all that he has in living the life that God has allowed him to live. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn your books to Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 23, and we will read on to verse 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 23 to 27. Let's read, let's read together in one voice, shall we? I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, thank you for calling us to this house, to your house, Lord. And God, we are so grateful uh, for the life that you have given us, God, through your son, Jesus. Uh, No matter what place, no matter uh, what season we are in life, God, God, I pray that uh, your power, your strength may fill our hearts, God, compelling us not give up, Lord, not stop hoping, Lord, Father, And God, that our eyesight is set upon you, God. God, we live with eternity in mind, Lord. So God, as we uh, go through the time of reading and and hearing your word, God, would you speak to us? Would you convey to us your holy and sacred truth, Lord? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Uh, When Paul wrote these words to the Corinthian church... Um, he assumes this one thing. He assumes that, that the, the audience in the Corinthian church understood this very important thing, very important event called the Olympics. The Olympics, uh, Olympic Games took place in Greece every four years starting from the 8th century B.C. Starting 776 B.C. So every four years this athletic competition were taking place celebrating the highest physical achievement of human beings. So every four years, people would get together, they ran, they boxed, 
I think one of the first ones, they wrestled, tried to see who would topple the other. So they competed in this massive uh, sports games, athletic games. So you would imagine the hype, you would imagine the excitement that built around this competition games that was held every four years. And during the off years, during the years leading up to the dates or the year of the competition, all of these athletes from all different regions would spend incredible amount of energy, time, pouring into the facts so that when they entered the competition, they wanted to make sure that they would come out as victors. And especially the church of, uh, not the church, city of Corinth will also, the host city of this uh, game called Isthmian Games. And that took place every four years as well during the middle term where the Olympic Games were not held. So this was a smaller, more regional athletic competition. In that, it was unique that also the arts, people uh, competed in different categories to see and celebrate uh, what, what people uh, were able to do. So Paul, uh, what Paul did with the games here, just as he, uh, and oftentimes Jesus did this as well, what Paul did with everything else in life, he was to see them in relation to God. As you know that Paul was obsessed with Jesus. Paul's mind was solely focused on living his life for the one that has given him the second chance of life. So he takes the games and, the, and, and he transposes them into a different level. And to seeing the games a reality very different than everyone else was seeing. This is what you and I have to understand when we enter this passage here. He's saying, well, there's a normal way of living. Everyone has their method of approaching life. Some of us work hard. Some of us don't work hard as, as much. So there are different ways. So he kind of throws this imagery of all these different athletes that compete actually in the Olympic Games. And he says, well, everyone trains. Everyone runs this race. And they don't just run this race. They don't just box. They don't just fight. But all of this fighting, all of this competing has a goal, which is what? And he's saying all the athletes, when they compete, there's a specific and external goal which they're competing for, which they're training for. And they're saying, it's so that they would win a prize. So back in the days, you guys know, they did not give out trophies. They did not give out medals. They did not give out uh, pensions for accomplishments. The winner of these athletic competitions would receive what? A, what? a wreath. Uh, kind of a crown, um, a, a wreath made of um, olive leaves and to celebrate. And they put you on a podium and they cheer for you, clap for you, say, you wanna, you're the best. And they're saying every athlete that competes in these games win, uh, do so and competes in a way that he would win the competition. So he transposes this imagery of this athletic competition or a life that athletes would devote uh, 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 to. And it says, in the same way, now he brings out the spiritual element of it, in the same way that we are no different as Christians, as followers of God, as followers and believers of Jesus Christ, we should live the same way. We have to be reminded that we're, we're in a battle, we're competing, we're preparing. With the external, with the prize that is waiting for us. And that prize is not a medal, is not a crown. 
The prize is waiting for us. The prize that awaits us from life in eternity. And Paul simply wishes us to understand that all we're doing here, what we're doing here in life on earth, will absolutely matter in the life and the eternity that we have been called into. Ask yourself this question. Is life just fun and games? Or could there be more to it than that? All the things that happen, all the things that you have experienced, all the choices that you make here on earth, is that it? Or could there be a possibility, the impact and the iterations of your choices and, and, and your life experiences now will possibly will carry on to the life in eternity? You know, Paul says in different passages, he says, well, eat, drink, and be merry. He kind of says that, well, that's not all there is to it, right? And Paul is implying that, could there be more? And he's trying to uh, steer the attention and the, the focus of the Christians as he's writing this letter to. He's saying, there's more to that. And it's really important that you and I to understand that life is not a game with no lasting consequence. The way we live our lives has eternal consequences. Amen? Do you guys believe that? Just trying to move the slides. Okay, there we go. Life is not a game with no lasting consequences. Life is a proving ground where we prove who we are, whom we trust, and what we cherish. So eternal life, the upward call, the crown of righteousness, all these hang on what our life says about who we are, whom we trust, and what we love. See then, the way we live, the way we run, absolutely matters. The race of life has eternal consequences because God has saved us. God has called us for so much more than just happiness and just wellness here for the life here on earth. But God has called us into, spent for, for us to spend the rest of eternity in heaven with Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says, shares these words. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And, and, and life, uh, life has eternal consequences, not because grace is nullified by the way we run, because grace is verified and grace is proved true in the way we run. Same concept, eternal life hangs on the way we run and fight. In the same way that we are saved, not by our own merits and works, but, but the Bible teaches us in Ephesians 2, we're saved by what? Saved by grace. But also, if you turn our attention to the book of James in chapter 2, well, faith without works is dead. And, and I don't want to get into a really uh, a detailed argument here, because it, it could be one of those moments where it's really difficult for us to comprehend we absolutely understand that faith is achieved by simply by our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, salvation is simply by work of 
Jesus Christ, and our faith in Jesus allows us to gain access to salvation. But according to the scriptures, if you've been, really been saved, if you really do claim to have faith, then works should absolutely follow. You with me here? So again, life of discipleship, life of a certain level of holiness is not mandated for you to be saved. But, but, uh, but on the flip side, when you claim yourself to be saved, when you call yourself as a follower and, and, and a student of Jesus Christ, then the pursuit of holiness, pursuit of discipleship should absolutely be evidence in the context of your faith life. And Paul is saying a similar thing here because now we have been uh, redeemed and called by Jesus Christ. And that by the simple fact of that, now you and I have been compelled to run this race. And, and then life becomes a, a proving ground for whether our faith is alive or dead. So let's see what else Paul says here in today's passage. Paul allows us a closer look. He shares, he reminds us that, you know what, what I'm sharing with you guys, I'm not just telling you guys. I'm not just encouraging you guys to do it. He himself, as one of the competitors, he believes, he he throws himself into the mix that, you know what, everyone is called into this race. And he lets us in to see how he views life and the approach of living his life, or running his race and then fighting his fight. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 says, and this is also Apostle Paul saying, uh, in this case he's writing to the church in Philippi, he says, not that I have already obtained it, or have I become, uh, have I already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that with for which also I was laid hold of, of by Christ Jesus. Before we talk about the prize, before we talk about the reward, we have to talk about the power that drives Paul. We have to talk about what really motivates Apostle Paul. And this is the unique thing about the way Christian runners run. This is a unique thing about how Christians live their lives and then there's this, there's this element of what, you know what, we are looking beyond the scope of what this life on earth provides for us. And in that, we run not as though that Jesus or God is waiting for us and, and waiting for us to uh, make mistakes and he, he waits for us so that he could convey to us in heaven when we do see him face to face, point out all the things. He's not there to scrutinize us while we run our own strength. But we run as those who have already been taken hold of by Jesus for that prize. We run to win the prize in the power of having been taken hold of for the prize. That's what Paul wants us to understand here. We run to obtain eternal life. We run to obtain righteousness, as he puts it, because we have already been obtained for eternal life and for righteousness. And they're running for eternal life. So this element of training hard, running this race hard, and staying away from unrighteousness. We're not doing it so that we may receive the price because God has already deemed us. God has already said, you are now, you have gained full access to the price. And because we know that, now that compels us. Man, that defines the way we should run. 
And you need to understand this because if we err on the other side, then we become this work-oriented and we're driven by, we're insecure beings and we run hard, we live our lives a certain way just so that God may, God may prove us worthy. But here, our running for eternal life is a proof that we have been obtained for life. And Paul says in verse 24 of our text today, he says, Run that you may obtain, or run such way that you may receive the prize. That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, God has not saved you just to lie on the track. Uh, you have not been saved so, so that you can just chill and have fun. right? Sometime at a certain point in my young Christian life, I thought, well... Jesus saved me. He loves me. The Bible tells me so. I'm going to heaven. For all that I know, heaven's a wonderful place. Man, I am good. I am set for life. For some Christians view heaven as their uh, eternal retirement plan. They see it as like, well, my place in eternity is secure. Now that allows me to do whatever it is that I want. I live my life however I want. But guys, is that the point? No. Our absolutely, our place in eternity has been secured by having faith in Jesus Christ. But because of that, now that compels us to live in such way that we may be proved worthy of the call that Christ has placed in us. And Paul says, man, run to win. Run to win. Run this way. Do you not know that those who run in a race, all run. But only one receives a prize. Run in such way that you may win. The point here is not that there's only one winner. Uh, please don't get caught up in this passage when you read, Man, my goal is to win. Uh, our goal is to run in such way, in the same way, in the same manner, that a winner of the race runs the race. The point is not that there's only one winner. The point is that we want to run the way the run, uh, winner runs. How does the winner run? Okay, this is, I can't share from testimony because I've never in my life have been a fast runner. I've never, all the years of my elementary and junior high, my goal in school life was be one of those relay runners. Because that was the most exciting event in school. But, you know, 100 yards dash or 100 meters dash, I never was a fast runner. Maybe some of you guys have uh, uh, experience in that. How, what is the difference for a winning runner than a guy that runs but never wins? I mean, you have to run hard, right? Obviously. You have to run hard. Not only do you have to train hard. When you run this race, you give everything that you have. Let me ask you this question. Now, as Paul transposes this athletic life to our spiritual life, how many of you guys have ever made it your goal to, you know what, I'm going to give everything that I have in this life, in the spiritual life that God has called me for. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to make sure that Christ is redeemed. I'm going to make sure that Christ is glorified in the way that I live my life. 
How many Christians are really uh, invigorated by this fact that, you know what, the spiritual race, man, I'm going to give everything that I have. And we, we, we live our lives in such manner that we give our entire strength in all that we have, all of our passions, all of our energy. To the point we get obsessed, we get so enamored by, you know what, this is my absolute focus. And I'm not just going to live it. I'm not just going to let days pass by. I'm not going to just wait for a, to de- uh, uh, until the day that I die. I'm going to just be chilling in heaven. You know what? I'm going to live my life. Heaven will start even now. I'm going to glorify God, worship God, obey Him, and honor Him all that I do. All that I have with all of my strength. Jonathan Edwards, a famous theologian, incredible pastor, evangelist that this nation has perhaps ever seen. While he was a student at Yale and reading this passage, he was so compelled reading this particular passage. He was so fueled and so inspired by that. Man, I better live my life in a meaningful and filled with purpose, filled with passion. So as a young student in college, he wrote uh, 70 resolutions just so that he would stir himself up to run this spiritual race. And this is what he said. Resolved, I will live for God with all of my might while I do live. You got to read that in the 18th century accent. I'm sure they spoke. They sounded a little differently, which I will not attempt to do. Think about it. Resolved. I will live for God with all of my might while I do live. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 tells us, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind. If you notice that, these words are directly quoted in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says when he was asked by one of the young lawyers, hey, which of the laws are the greatest? Which of the commandments are the most important, Jesus? When Jesus was asked a question, he simply quotes this Deuteronomy chapter 6 passage. It says, you know what? Love the Lord your God with all that you have. With all of your might, heart, uh, all of your might, heart, strength. Give everything that you have in loving your God. And certainly the New Testament is full of, uh, uh, full of ways to say this in different ways. Luke chapter 13. Strive to enter by the narrow gate. John chapter 6 verse 27. Labor for the food that endures to eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. Galatians 6, 9, 6, 9, let us not be weary in uh, doing good, for we shall reap if we do not faint. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Titus 2, chapter 14, Christ gave himself to purify for himself a prize uh, for people zealous for good deeds. This element of striving laboring, being zealous, being earnest. Paul says, live in such a way. 
Don't live, don't live without, uh, like the one who's living just without any aim or purpose. But live in such way, toil in such way, strive in such way that in the end, that you will bring God much honor. Sometimes, sometimes, life is harsh at times in a way that just because you try hard, I mean, does the world guarantee you that you're going to win? Think about it. I mean, that, that, that's not true, right? Uh, think about school. When you were in school many years ago, uh, just because you studied hard, did you ace every test? I have to be careful who I look at because some of you guys actually did. Just because you study hard for your test does not mean you're going to pass the test or get uh, amazing grades on it. But the process, I think, which Paul is reminding us is that the process is more important in this context. But if you live in such a way, in the end, the reward that's awaiting us will be great. This coming Sunday, um, a week from now on, my son will be competing for the first time uh, in the sport that he has been training a little less than two years. Uh, he's been training in jiu-jitsu. Uh, he earned his gray belt. Uh, he worked really hard, extremely hard. And, and we signed up for his first competition uh, sometime, uh, uh, actually uh, late uh, December. And for the, uh, the last month and a half, it's been really, really intense training. So he trains not twice a week, not three times a week. On any given week, he has been training as many as four times a week. And that's not enough because, you know, one of those parents, one of those guys, when I come home, we talk about it. Uh, we have a big mat, uh, thanks to James, Muto James. And we have a mat right in the smack in the middle of our living room. So every chance we get, we get on the mat, we practice moves, and we go over it to the point. You guys, some of your parents know this, right? Parents, uh, we make the mistake and we push our kids too much, right? And the kids get sick of it. It's like, Enough. I'm done with this. And each moment we train, I remind Sammy, Sammy, daddy's, daddy doesn't care if you win or not. And I really mean that. Daddy doesn't care if you've earned first place or second place or third place. It sure be nice. <laughs> and I'm hoping that he wins. I mean, what's the purpose of training? It's to win, right? But again, but the reality is that when you're competing... We are not beholden by the outcome of the competition. We are only called to be diligent and faithful to what we can control. And I tell them, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens at the end of the competition. What matters is that we eagerly yearn for the good outcome. And we do absolutely everything in our power to prepare ourselves the best way that we can. I'll tell you what, in that, he's given up his free time. Sometimes he sucks. Sometimes he has to endure through the endless chatter, chattering or talking about uh, of his dad, right? He feels the pressure. Now he feels the pressure of performing. When he goes to the gym to train, his coaches are in his ears. Uh, the, the nice coach that had been smiling all this time long, it's different. Competition class at 5.40 Friday night, oh, there's nothing. Uh, TGIF, uh-uh, not that gym. Everyone's intense training. 
the friends that he had made along the way that day, it is different. There's a level of higher awareness. Something is actually at stake. And now my goal is, my prayer is that, man, he is driven. That he actually, if I can get him to think that he actually wants to train harder on his own so that he may desire the prize at the end, that's a win. In the same way that we are fueled, encouraged, and compelled to, though that we're not judged, it doesn't matter. Who knows what the prize will be? But what matters is that we're compelled to uh, work ourselves, uh, be faithfully uh, attending to the life that we have, you and I have here on earth. And that drives me. If you were to ask me a question, Scott, what, are you, what is the, the, the eternal prize for Christians? Will we really have a crown of righteousness? Will we really have crown, crowns of gold? And I've heard, some, I've heard some preachers say, well, gold will be the very minimum in heaven. It will be streets not of gold, but streets of diamond. It will be mansions that you and I will be living in. I don't know. You know what I'm looking for? You know what my interpretation of heavenly reward will be? Is that at the time that I check into heaven, St. Peter is waiting at the gate. He's got the last book of life. He's going through the flipping through the pages. And he's checking off names and directing people. Hey, welcome. Jesus is waiting for you. Welcome. Come on. Right ahead. Table 36. Table 1,000. <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I can't find your name here. This way. You could, you could uh, leave your clothes here. because It's going to be pretty hot. I, I, I mean, I don't know. But the, the, the picture of heaven that I'm imagining is that what fuels me is that right behind Peter, Jesus is standing right next to it. And he's in, standing just inside the gates of heaven. And he's greeting each person as we are entering in. And he sees, scans our faces. Ah, Scott, Sam, finally you've come home. And I imagine Jesus looking at me, Scott, my good and faithful servant. My good and faithful servant. My good and faithful servant. I long, I long for that. And to me, that is my reward. I wait for the moment where Jesus sees me or I see Jesus face to face. And all of my life is wait for that precise moment. And with all of the affections in the heavenlies, Jesus pours into me, say, thank you for living your life in the way that I've called you to. That becomes my focus. Again, who knows what kind of rewards that we will actually be able to participate and enjoy. We probably can't even imagine, right? Are we going to eat in heaven? Again, again, you won't talk about that today. But whatever it is that you think of the reward will be. And Paul is encouraging us, you and me, run in such a way. Live. Compete in such a way that you are focused on winning this prize. The last point that Paul shares with us in verse 26, 27. 
And it's the fight not to be disqualified. Verse 26, 27, he says, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul gives us the notion that the prize is not just handed to us. This imperishable, this indestructible, this eternal prize is going to be fought for. He says there's a clear goal. uh, And for that, I will discipline my body. I will buffet my body. I will even to the point I will destroy my body. I will fight my own body to that point. And you guys know that body is the base of operations for good, also for sin and bad. And Paul is talking about that nature, the dual nature of human beings, that there's constantly being a battle being waged within us. And Paul is saying, all of the things, as much as I desire righteousness, as much as I desire the things of God and heavenly upward call of God and the prize that awaits for us, he's talking about the battle that goes on inside him. That the battle of sin, the nature of human being. There's a battle going on. Paul saying, you know what? I will destroy my body to the point that I'm going to continue toil and toil and toil because righteousness is my goal. Remember, for Paul, he, he, he encourages us, always ask the maximum righteousness question. Paul is saying here in this context, I will buffet my body. I will destroy my body even to the point where it destroys me, it hurts me, Sometimes there's no pleasure, but saying, my focus is on obtaining this prize, eternal prize, righteousness. And that Paul says he exercised self-control, just like boxing, and there's a clear aim in that. Don't live in such a way. Don't just, you know, when you fight, you never want to close your eyes. You want to have clear sight on your opponent. Every punch, every movement is intentional. And you're doing so to win. Paul saying, he understands that the body is the Lord. Uh, is the Lord's. Uh, chapter 16, verse 13, he says, uh, chapter 6, verse 13, says, the body is for the Lord. So Paul means to make his body serve the glory of the Lord. And this is exactly the spirit of Jesus when he said uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 to 30, says, If your eye leads you to sin, pluck it out. Or if your hand leads you to sin, cut it off. For it's better to enter eternal life blind in one eye and maimed in one hand than to go to hell without, uh, with both. Paul said, It's better to beat my body into submission than to be disqualified from the race. We don't have much time to get into this, but in chapter 10, he actually talks about the journey and the life and the struggles of the Israelites. And he gives a brief history lesson about reminding the audience in the church of Corinth. He said, you know what? Many have tried, but the Israelites have failed over and over and over again because they just could not have done away with their fleshly desires. They have failed time after time, disobeyed time after time. Paul reminds the audience, don't do that. 
Live in such a way that you, even means that you beat your flesh, pursue righteousness. He encourages us in 10.13. No temptation. I know he says, I know it's hard. Life is hard. You're going to be tempted in many ways. But he says, no temptation has seized you beyond what you can bear. And Paul reminds us to have this mindset of running this race and running hard after this goal. Live in such a way that we win. As I wrap up today, guys, um, I don't think today, I did not think when I prepared this message, when I read this passage, I pray to God, say, God, I, it, it's not some great insight. I wasn't digging for it, but for me personally at least, it was a great reminder that, man, the life that God has called me to live, the life that God has called me for, man, there is purpose. And the things that I do, the things that I'm engaged in in my life here on earth will have absolutely an impact of the life that I will experience and here on to eternity that i can't just treat it i don't approach it as like you know what my goal is not to just show up and hoping that things take care of itself no this christian life it's a battle it's a fight imagine getting into a boxing ring and there's an opponent the enemy trying to knock you out of the way distract you make it more difficult for you We can't not accept that it is going to be a fight. What you and I have to do is that we strap up our boots, we put on our gloves, we say, and we put on our, uh, not boots, maybe running shoes. Say, God, we're ready to run this race. I'm going to do as best as possible. God, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let any discouragement stop me along the way, but I'm focused I'm going to do it. I'm going to live hard. And I pray that you and I may find the pleasure, find the joy of running this race. Amen? Um, I love this saying. I will close with this quote, one of my favorite quotes of all time. Um, So you and I each have been called into this race. God absolutely wants us to run hard and compete to win. And but... Remember, let's remember that he also called us together for this race. Remember, we're not competing against each other. We're competing against ourselves. In that competition, let us remember that we can lean on the brothers. We can lean on the brothers and sisters that God has surrounded us with. Sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, life is too difficult for us to figure out on our own. We will need the strength, the encouragement, and the prayers of those that are running together, running with us. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So may you find your running mates. May you find your boxing partners or training partners because Uh, Life is too hard for you to figure out and run this race alone. Amen.